This episode is sponsored by the amazing O'Reilly Velocity Conference coming to San Jose, California, June 10th through June 13th. It takes more than great backlog grooming skills to be a great engineer. This is episode 154 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical topics. And boy, do we know how to groom a backlog. <laughs> you know how monkeys groom each other and they'll like pick little <laughs> bugs and goop out of it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the history of that metaphor, right? It's like, this ticket is a parasite and I will <laughs> devour it. I will eat it. <laughs> no more OAuth 2 implementation. <laughs> <laughs> The code review of that is just really gross. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my mouth. Oh, I found this ticket about upgrading our SQL library nestled between your armpit hairs, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the grossest thing you've ever said on the show. Yeah, what a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> uh, with that, let's talk about our wonderful patrons who just love that kind of content so much that they're supporting the show financially. Thank you so much to... Matthew uh, Vojtovich, sorry, the Agile Ventures Charity, Zach Rannon, Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Sean Clayton, Sonny Tai, Sonic the Hedgehog, Murray Rousseau, and Chris Hogan. Thank you so much to those folks who are supporting the show at the level where we shout them out at every episode. And thank you to everyone else who has supported the show. Your contributions through Patreon pay for hosting and stickers and taxes and design and all, all kinds of stuff. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Shall I read our first question? Please do. Okay. This comes from a listener named Mike. Mike writes, I keep getting asked to interview new candidates, but my interview feedback history is pretty bad. I have said yes to hiring the following. Number one, someone who's super smart, but drives me absolutely crazy with constant arguments and may cause me to take the time-honored soft skills advice and quit my job. <laughs> Number two, my boss at my former company who did drive me to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> number three my first and only hire back when i was a people manager who turned out to be terrible but i was told i had to keep him around because quote it would look bad to fire my first hire oh <laughs> wow okay going on oh, mike says man. what should i do is it acceptable to just keep turning down interview requests i've wandered into a tech lead position so i suspect i can't dodge them forever but I don't want to keep suggesting bad hires just for the sake of getting more interview practice. Thanks for all the advice and the laughs. I've been a regular listener for a couple years. Thank you, Mike. Wow. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> we didn't hear about all the things that worked out, though, right? Maybe there are hundreds of candidates that Mike has said yes to that worked out. With just a few poignant false positives. <laughs> Yeah, those false positives really stick out in your mind, though, because <laughs> they, they stick around for a while. You could consider replacing yourself in the interview with just a cardboard cutout of your sternly frowning face. <laughs> just leave that in the room for an hour and then fill out whatever form you use to submit interview feedback and just say no. Like, yeah, just say no to everybody and then you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> oh. It's acceptable to just keep turning down interview requests. Yeah, if you say no enough, people will stop asking I mean, you to interview. Yeah, that's a fair point. Like, maybe it is. Maybe interviewing is not your strong point, and that's okay. That certainly is a part of lots of people's job, but it might be wise to say, you don't want this to be a part of my job. <laughs> yeah, it's not that I don't want to do it. It's that you really don't want me doing this. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I just love yeah, this I, is such a good I question. just love how honest Mike is. I mean Mike's Mike's just like, look, <laughs> I am terrible at this. Let me give you three examples. 
<laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> you sound terrible. <laughs> yeah, yes, you have convinced us. I'm sure you're great in other important ways. I was trying to think through candidates that I have said yes to who turned out to be mistakes. And I think I've done this a fair amount too. Part of it is the source of my feeling that interviewing is uh, nonsense in some ways because <laughs> it's it's just so hard to judge someone's future work performance based on an hour with them and there's lots of ways to get it wrong but one way to one one way to get it wrong that has few long-running costs is just to say no a lot <laughs> yeah and i think that's a lot of people's process is like well if we're not sure we'll just say no and that way we might reject some good people but we will also hopefully reject some bad people that we can't tell or bad good and bad they're not value judgments but so people who would do well and some people who wouldn't do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, in other words, you favor a high false accept, false reject rate in favor of a low false accept rate. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it said like the cost of a bad hire is so catastrophic that it's it's worth rejecting potentially good hires. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a thing people do is just get real strict. And you see that in a very a bunch of different formats. One is like um, making interviews extra difficult in ways that might not reflects normal job tasks. So like kind of brain teaser puzzles are famous things that used to happen in tech interviews, like how many manholes are in Manhattan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate that. That That's just like an excuse to say no to somebody, basically, <laughs> right? It's not like you did well, so you're going to do a good job at, at the work. Well, I like it's this just... candidate, but their manhole estimate was off by 3%. So going to have to say no. Yeah. Huh. Huh. What should they do? What should Mike do? Oh. <sighs> Well, I ha I don't know. I mean, I would love to sit in an interview with Mike and just like tease apart what kind of questions Mike's asking and what is the rationale that Mike is using to make the yes or no decision based on what was heard in the interview. Because yes, yeah, so you're you're saying it's not a thing maybe inherent in Mike. It could be just maybe you're interviewing wrong. Yeah, very likely. I, I mean, it's very easy to interview wrong, <laughs> right? It is. <laughs> I've done it. Um, so have I, and I've seen a lot of bad interview questions and I've been the candidate in a lot of bad interview situations but I've also hired a lot of really good people and feel like I have pretty good I have a pretty good success rate which I think I don't know I don't know if this is normal but you know I was trying to tally up like how many people I've interviewed I don't even know it's well over 500 people maybe maybe even pushing a thousand candidates over the last 15 to 20 years and I can only really think of three hires we made uh, where I said yes and they turned out to be not a good hire. Oh, and I should say, of those, you know, 500 to 1,000 candidates, I've probably had 100 of them actually get offers and start working with me. Mm -hmm. And I can really only think of three. Now, maybe there are more. Maybe there are a few others. But it's not, it's certainly not over 10%. So I don't know what my false reject rate is, but my false accept rate is probably under 10%. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Ship it. What's your secret? <laughs> so, boy, I think... I don't really know exactly what I do, but I can tell you the thing that I have come to really appreciate in my current role is I ask people to tell me about examples from their work when they've done certain things. Like I, I set up a situation and I say, have you been in this situation? If so, tell me what you did. And getting those kinds of stories from people. Are these behavioral yeah, examples yeah, exactly. or technical examples? Well, I do both, but like behavioral okay. would be like, you know, tell me about a time when, you know, you were facing a, dead, a deadline without enough time to finish. What did you do? You know, and 
I've got lots and mm-hmm. lots of these questions I ask, and you you can just and I assess them against what I would expect someone to do at that at their level of experience, and you get really good answers. Like they're very telling, and I compare that against people that I've worked with over the years to see like you know is this something that I would expect this person to do, or did they outperform that person or underperform that person? And then you can start to make a an actual judgment call instead of you know instead of just like saying I don't know they seem nice or they seem cool. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a strong model of what makes a good software developer in your head? I don't know if I could construct a software developer from the model in my head, but I feel like I have a good recognition model in my head where I can pretty reliably pass a set of behaviors through my recognition model and come out with a confident result. Okay. I think I think that answers my question. It's basically like you you feel like from the information you see you can judge whether this is a thing that a that a solid employee would do versus not do at this level. It sounds like. I think so. Yeah. But but however, having said that, I never base my decision on just the, you know, one hour that I spend with the candidate. You know, typically we'll spend four, five, six hours with the candidate of lots of people and we'll all compare notes and describe what we each learned. And then with that whole picture, then we can I can make a judgment call, but never just with the time I spend with them. And how much training or deliberate practice have you had at interviewing folks? Prior to my current company, I had nothing but seat of my pants and watching other people interview. At my current company, I had several hours of actual okay. training, and then I ha- actually had people shadow me while I interviewed, and they gave me critiques and feedback on my style. And so that's definitely leveled me up from where I was before. Yeah. So I have never had any formal training from the outside on how to interview. I think this is the question where maybe I realize my distrust of interviews is maybe just a reflection of me oh. not being sure how to interview well. <laughs> but... but I mean, I've I've read a bunch about interviewing, kind of done my own personal study, but never at any company I've ever been at has anyone said, wow. this is how we interview here. This is the bar. These are the questions you've asked. These are how we, this is how we evaluate people. It's always been like, hey, talk to this person, decide if we want to hire them or not. And, um, <laughs> and like, it, like any sane person would be like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, how do I know if we want to hire them? But I think in our industry, we're just like, okay, I'll do that. So <laughs> and then we do. When I started, I was I was pretty young when I started interviewing, and I think I felt flattered. Ah. I was like, "Oh, cool! They trust me enough. They think I'm smart ah. enough to make good judgments." So yeah, okay. I'll do it, and I love doing it. And I still enjoy interviewing, but the more I do it, the more I realize that the thing I want the most is a, some kind of rubric, <clears throat> some standardized pool of questions and kinds of things we evaluate that we can rate and compare folks to because otherwise it's susceptible to gut feeling mm-hmm. and bias and I mean rubrics can oh, still absolutely. be and I've written bad that, ones but um, hopefully if you're if you're yeah but hopefully if you're curating the rubric and evaluating it and iterating on it you can see things that are on there that aren't helpful and things that should be prioritized more and whatever but but some some standard is just so important because otherwise a lot of it can devolve oh, yeah. into, did you like this person oh, yeah. that's over the hour bad. you spent together? Which is not a good way <laughs> no, to decide no. if you should hire that's someone. That's a good way to decide if you should date someone. Maybe that's what <laughs> you should do. Do I like them? <laughs> but this is not, not for yeah. a working moment. Okay, you mentioned, you mentioned a rubric and that you just want yeah. a rubric where you can like fill in the numbers and be like, okay, the rubric tells me hire or no hire. But I got to tell you, I created a rubric at my last job just like that. And I'm like, okay, we're here are the nine qualities we're looking for. Like, this is what we value in our company. Uh, we're going to rate them each on like a scale of one to four. And we did it. And then we filled out a rubric for this one, can- like the first candidate that came through with this new rubric, filled it out. And the rubric said, strong hire. But my gut said, no, like, this is not a good hire. Don't do it. But I was, I trusted the rubric. And so we made the hire and that person turned out to be one of the people that 
I felt like we that was one of the three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm like, I think that a rubric is not a silver bullet in this situation. Yeah. Or, Or at least the rubric has to be refined over time. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say rubric, I mean, it should be some set of qualities or attributes you're looking for, but I think it should also have example questions to draw from or or exercises to go through to help you. So it's not just like resilience, one through five. And you're like, I don't know, like I pushed them and they pushed me back. So five, I guess. (laughs) They pushed pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah. That was a five level push, I think. (laughs) We tested how long they could keep their finger over a lit candle and they kept it there a long time. So they're pretty resilient. Like it, it should be specific enough that you know here's what I ask to evaluate this and here are the kind of answers that would result in this score this score mm-hmm. this score that score I'm thinking of the medium one which I think is great well, we can link it in the show notes but it's pretty detailed and it's all open uh, I haven't interviewed there so I don't know how much it follows practice but that's been cool okay that's that's been helpful the other thing I found is that how do I say this I feel like I have developed a pretty good ability to judge someone's technical skill mm-hmm. where if they're if they're trying to do good work, here's how good they are at, at solving technical problems. But the other stuff feels harder and mushier to judge to me. Yeah. Like how easy are they to get along with? How will they handle deadline pressure? How how do they handle conflict in a team? How yeah. do they how do they react to I don't know? coworkers saying things they disagree with all all kinds of other stuff that's not just how well can they write the code yeah yeah and that stuff is so important that's that's the stuff that seems harder and that's all the stuff that came up in mike's question too yep right like hired someone who's super smart drives me crazy my boss and my former company who did drive me to quit (laughs) yeah maybe the only hire when mike was a (laughs) manager who turned out to be terrible Maybe that was technical issues, but yeah. I, I mean, the, the technical side, I, I just want to say, I feel like the best way to judge someone's technical abilities is to, as closely as possible, have them do the kind of technical work that they would do in the job, either yeah. through work samples or looking at their open source code or, or pair, programming. pair programming together. Just something that's like, how would you work on things that you'll work on? I just want to call out um, that it was really cute that we both said pair programming at the same time. Yeah, especially <laughs> given our last episode. <laughs> Yep. Where we heaped some skepticism on pair programming. <laughs> yep. We never said we were consistent. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I cut you off though. What were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, Mike says, what should I do? And I was going to ask, have you ever been, have you ever shadowed someone in an interview where you're shadowing the interviewer? Are you asking me? Yeah. No, I've been in interviews where people shadowed the person who was interviewing me. And I thought, this is a great idea. And I really wish that I had done this at some point. I, I agree. But I, I don't know how anyone, my only experience for knowing how people interview is me being in interviews, Yeah, being the interviewee. So at, at uh, my first company, well, my second company out of college where I did a lot of interviewing, we did a four person panel interview style. And while on the one hand, that's pretty intimidating to the candidate. On the other hand, interviewers get- autom- It probably had something to do with the shadows- like the shadowy figures that you cast <laughs> when you're sitting up on your thrones <laughs> yeah, surrounding yeah. the candidate. Yeah, did I say, sh- when I the said shadow, was pretty stark. it wasn't a metaphor. These are actual shadows being, <laughs> being cast by a, a fire from torchlight. <laughs> All the propaganda pictures yeah. about like loose commits sink ships. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe a little intimidating. Yeah. Anyway, so even though it was an intimidating for the candidate, it was really beneficial for newer interviewers because a lot of times one of the four people would just be silent the whole time and they would just be observing. And what I found was that later on, 
people would ask questions like, why did you ask this question? This is to the interviewer, you know, after the interview's done, they'd say like, why did you ask this question? What were you trying to get at? And that, that, those are the most valuable things I think that you can share is what do you say in an interview and why? And I've had that opportunity a lot of times at my current company where I get to shadow other people and then they get to explain to me what their rationale was. Very, very beneficial. I think this reflects a trend in our industry, which is that everything besides the code is often pretty secondary in in, in general and, and maybe a little bit less valued or, or thought about where Hire, you, you hear the old saw about hiring is the most important thing we do, or maybe you hear that. I don't know. I feel like I've heard that plenty of times, but literally zero effort in my career from, from the organizations I've worked in has been put into making sure we hire well. It's more just like, make sure you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you haven't had quite the same experience, but it still sounds like before this current position, it hasn't been really deliberately, carefully yeah. addressed. Yeah. It was definitely less rigorous. So you're you're not alone, Mike. Maybe that's one takeaway. Yes. Yeah. It, people who think they... I think there are a lot of people who think they're really good interviewers and are horrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because they're, they're just kind of making people jump through the hoops that they have to jump through to get the job. Mm, perpetuating the bad cycle. One thing I have learned from every bad hire that I feel like I've been involved in, I feel like I have one question that's like, that's the person X question (laughs) 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 to try and suss out if this will fail in the same way person X failed. It's like a, Um, it's like a release checklist where the checklist is built up of all the failures that have happened from previous deployments. And now you've got this checklist. (laughs) Exactly. So you mentioned someone who drives you crazy with constant argument. Maybe think of a way that you would explore that in an interview or, or you could even, I'm constantly surprised by how directly you can just ask, Hey, do you do this bad thing? And people will say yes or no. <laughs> like, and yes, tell like, me about people a time you fought yes. with your boss. Yeah, and people will say, yeah, my boss was an idiot, and I fought with them all the time. And and yeah, and maybe their boss was an idiot, or maybe they just fight a lot. You know, like yeah. you can just ask stuff. Yeah. Okay. Just huh. so your advice is just ask stuff. Okay. <laughs> just okay. No, my advice is more specific. It's think of think of things you wish you would have known about this person before they joined. And think of questions you could have asked that might have illustrated that. Cool. So hopefully you're improving. You're not failing in the same ways where people people keep, I don't know. I can't think of anything funny to say. The funny is gone. <laughs> That's because this is kind of a hard subject. It is hard because the, the thing I keep worrying about is just bias and discrimination creeping in. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to hire people who are like you and, and someone that you want to go hang out with after work as a buddy or friend or whatever. That shouldn't be the criteria for having someone take a job on your team. Yep, definitely. It sounds like it's not, though, (laughs) because these three people drive you nuts. So good job. Yeah. You've avoided that pitfall. <laughs> so what's our advice? I mean, Dave, Dave, in my mind, your advice boils down to I'm really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk I am. <laughs> oh, no, you talked about behavioral things. So or not behavioral things. Asking for for them to describe things they have done. Yeah. So specific, in, in specific I say, situations. Yeah, exactly. Ask for specific examples of things they've done in situations. Shadow an interviewer who has a good track record and you think does a good job. And rubrics, so like what you were describing, you know, have have a checklist of things you're actually assessing for that the company agrees make good employees. That can be a question that spawns a lot of other questions, though, because if you work in a big company and there's nothing, then you might suddenly find yourself sitting down to say, okay, I tech lead at this company of 10,000 developers is now going to define the standard of (laughs) (laughs) what makes a good developer at giant mega company X. Like, 
feels a little arrogant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, not arrogant. It's more like that's a lot of time and yeah, effort. It's a big, and it could turn into a huge project. Every time I do this, I just feel like I wish someone else had done this already. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy doing this, but I also uh, get a little frustrated that it's yeah. so seat of the pants. It's shocking to me how few companies take this seriously enough to actually allocate resources to it. Yeah. Well... You're not alone, Mike. They won't anymore because of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We fixed it, Dave. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, good luck, Mike. <laughs> All right, good luck. You know, I've been thinking about which conferences to attend this year. What a coincidence. This episode is sponsored by the O'Reilly Velocity Conference in San Jose, California, June 10th through the 13th. Yeah, I checked it out. Velocity looks like a great event to learn new skills for building and managing cloud-native systems. They have a diverse lineup of 92 speakers from companies like Spotify, Netflix, Google, Dropbox, and Cloudflare. There will be talks about cloud application development, microservices, security, and of course, the darling of the internet right now, Kubernetes. <laughs> it looks incredible this year. You should come to Velocity if you want to learn about chaos engineering, cloud-native systems, and serverless, and you get to hear firsthand from the engineers who have built some of the world's largest scale and highest-performing internet applications. My team works in this domain, and it actually looks directly relevant to the kind of stuff we're facing right now. Really cool. You can even become a certified Kubernetes application developer while there. And you get to meet a bunch of interesting people, which is one of the main reasons I attend conferences. We worked out a sweet deal with the Velocity organizers for soft skills engineering listeners. You can get 20% off when you use code SKILLS during registration. I did the math, and with that code, you can get a pass for as low as $796 right now. Go to velocityconf.com skills to register and use discount code SKILLS. Oh, and hurry, because early pricing ends May 3rd. Would you like to read our next one? Yes. This is a short one from an anonymous listener. How long do I need to wait before bailing on a new job I don't like? More than a month? It's not totally miserable. The people here are nice and the company has good prospects, but the technical decisions of the team lead to daily frustrations for me. Ooh. That's it. How short is too short? Huh. More than a month. I... <laughs> it says... Uh, my sister took a job and untook the job four hours later. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's got to be a record. She yeah, she walked in and did the orientation and was like, you know, and then just walked back out. What was the job? I don't know if I want to put him on blast publicly. Okay. It was, I, was I agreed industry? with her decision though. I will put it that way. Okay. What was the industry? It was the tech industry. Oh, interesting. There are some sketchy things that I don't love about this company. Okay. And I think she, she, she wasn't really super into the tech industry before this. And so I didn't have a chance to warn her off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. She noticed some of the things and then left. Well, it sounds like her, her uh, radar is pretty well calibrated. Yeah, I guess. Or it was just real bad <laughs> <laughs> okay so how how soon is too uh, soon so, so four, four hours, hours is a good time <laughs> that's the that's kind of the bar yeah 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 this all depends a lot on how easily you can get another job too yeah because if you know you hate it but it's all you've got then you kind of have to stick around until you have something else yeah i guess we're assuming this is in this is developers who are generally in pretty high demand though so yeah that's fair assumption i think how will it look on your resume if you quit a job after one month two months three months you know does it does it change i i think so i don't want to steal your thunder though i know you have thoughts on this I, no i got nothing you, you share okay i mean if it's short enough just don't put it on your resume <laughs> and if it's long enough if it if it's just once it's probably okay as long as you have a compelling story for why you made that decision. Mm -hmm. If it happens repeatedly as a pattern of a period of, of a couple months and then another job in a couple months, then I think that would, that would raise a lot of red flags. Yeah. But if you're just there for a month and then you quit, just don't put it there. We shall never speak <laughs> of this again. Don't say you worked again. there for a month. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure my sister doesn't put this company she worked at for four hours on her resume. <laughs> I have four hours of experience in the tech industry. <laughs> Although I think it would reflect well on her judgment. So maybe she should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It only took me four hours to discover. <laughs> like if you can if you can get the job at the beginning of the month, quit the job before the month is over, and be started at a new job before the next month begins then even LinkedIn won't notice there's a gap in your employment, <laughs> which would be great. I mean, you can just say that you were doing a job search too. I don't think it's bad to say you wanted to be careful about your job search and find the right opportunity. Now, if that if someone asks you directly, like, did you work for company X for a period of 29 days, then I guess it feels weird to just straight up lie to them. No, but I mean, you could say yes. They probably just won't no, they'll, because you didn't put it on your resume. Yeah, they'll never know. <laughs> they, never they have know. not been hiring private investigators to stalk you. <laughs> and if they have, you probably shouldn't work there. Yeah. I think that once you get past the one or two month mark, though, then I would recommend sticking it out for at least six months or else it, I don't know. I'm, like Jameson said, really what we're looking for is patterns. Like if I see a, a pattern of quitting every three to six months, I'm going to be concerned about that when I'm looking at a potential candidate. But yeah, and the the pattern, it's 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 not like, are they a bad person? It's just like, okay, so I'll spend all this time and money and effort to hire them, and then they might quit exactly. in three months. Exactly. Not worth it. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 you know, if you do this one time, I think it's no big deal. I think most people have that one kind of unusual job stint on their resume where it was shorter than the others or a little bit different. No big deal. Yeah. Um, but still, I would still recommend, like, you know, if you've only been there a few weeks and there's technical things you don't like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rush to, to leave right away because of that. If anything, I would see if I could help improve the situation. And I would give it a fair shake. And I think a fair shake takes uh, several months. Yeah, that's a good point. The people are nice and the company has good prospects. Yeah. But the technical decisions of the team lead to daily frustrations for me. So there's good news about that. You cannot change whether the people are nice or not. Yep. <laughs> and it's it's kind of your job, but it's also somewhat removed from you whether the company has good prospects or not. But the technical decisions, that's your job. Yeah. <laughs> that's the stuff you do. So yeah. like if... Oh, the technical decisions of the team lead. Okay. Oh, the team so, lead. So yeah, one, one team leads particularly. No, no, I no, no. That. I thought no, it was it says, just the team in general. It says... The... Oh, wait. Of the team lead to daily frustration. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. That's a verb. Eng Undo. English. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So yeah, so the team's making bad technical decisions and you're here to help. Like if there weren't technical challenges then what would you be doing here and i think sometimes engineers expect to come into a job and be like this is going to be the greatest job ever we're not going to have any problems we're just going to take requirements from product owners and turn it into this beautiful product with elegant code and ship that and it's going to be amazing but in reality a lot of the problems we solve are actually self-inflicted yeah you're just fighting off rats with sticks while and if you can build something beautiful in the meantime <laughs> that's that's great and, and you actually made some of the rats <laughs> <laughs> you accidentally bred the rats yes. <laughs> to thirst for human blood <laughs> daily frustrations that's what that's exactly the image i had <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's a good point i hadn't thought about the specifics of the situation i was focused more on just the timeline but that's a that is a good point i get deep satisfaction out of resolving daily frustrations if there's a process or a pain point that comes up over and over again, even if it's not enormous, there, there's often this range where if something is painful enough and causes huge enough problems, it'll get fixed. People aren't going to ignore it. And then there's some range of tiny little things that are so easy that people just fix them. But there's this huge swath in the middle of things that are painful, but they don't happen often enough that mm -hmm. it feels like it's worth an investment or people have workarounds or people are used to it. 
I feel like I get a ton of satisfaction out of fixing those and improving developers' workflows and processes where deployments are easier, documentation is generated more easily, mm -hmm. or I don't know, all kinds of little things. You get fewer random emails from some system that you ignore, stuff like that. And I think that's fun stuff to work on. That's why you're a good manager. Yeah. And because I'm so good at interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> two, two secrets to your success. <laughs> so we've shifted to chiding the question asker <laughs> and saying, do a good job. <laughs> but I, I think your I think our points originally stand that if you step in and it's just horrible and you bounce out pretty quickly and you know like I will never be okay with this and I just cannot take it anymore, then mm -hmm. if you leave pretty quickly, I think that's fine. Yeah. Thirty days. Get out in thirty days. After that you gotta stick it out for a while, I think. Yeah. And for every job that you quit, I think you do need a coherent reason why or, or quit or, or get laid off or whatever for every job that you change the shorter it is the more people will ask about it mm -hmm. so the, the more you need to have thought about how to explain your tenure there and when you say a coherent reason you mean a reason that doesn't make you look bad <laughs> yeah so it can't be like i think it's it's generally not great to just say a lot of horrible things about how garbage the company is mm -hmm. while that can be a contributing factor to you not staying there for a long time a question then is like why did you <laughs> why did you work there like how did you miss that you know yeah so it, it should be something that you can explain that will make them want to hire you more not less bingo or you can just sweep just, it under the rug like it never happened yeah or that or just say you were an independent consultant <laughs> and make sure that you have like one side project you've been doing yeah. that and, whole time. And a business card. Makes zero money. A little business card you can slide across the table. Yeah. Makes you legit. Oh, man. I want that now. I don't slide enough business cards across tables. <laughs> what would it say? What would your title be? It'd just say business card. <laughs> <laughs> James and Dance is business nope, card. It wouldn't even say that. It would just say business card. Maybe it'd say redeemable for one business. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> or I, you need like a generic enough phrase that it could work in lots of different contexts. What if, okay, what if you got like thank you cards from Hallmark or something? <laughs> those those were your business cards. It just says thank you. Hap just Yeah, or like happy birthday, grandson or something. And then you write your contact details on the inside. <laughs> oh, oh, business card. I thought you said birthday card. Oh, my bad. But there's a little $2 bill in there for you. <laughs> and From my grandpa. And my phone number. <laughs> so you can reach me about that job interview slash transaction. Yeah. <laughs> or if you want to talk about whittling <laughs> or baseball. My grandpa really likes baseball. All so right. Baseball is associated with grandpas in my head. <laughs> cool. Well, have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. <laughs> Best of luck. Best of luck either quitting immediately or in six months. Yes. <laughs> All right. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio and click on ask a question. And thank you so much to the people who have asked questions. They are great. We love them. Keep them coming. All right. We'll catch you next week.